I want to invite you to um, go with me to uh, the gospel according to Luke chapter 24. And um, I want to read a passage that is well known with connection to the resurrection. And I'm going to read it all, even though it's a bit longer, because um, I, I think the passage itself is as eloquent as anything that I can say. And if you only succeed in reading it with me and um, interpreting it in the way that it needs to be interpreted, then we will have achieved our goal this morning. Let me just make sure. Are you, okay? Are you able to listen to me? Everything is okay? Just wanna, we have these technical things that we need to be aware of more than ever, so just wanted to make sure. Luke 24, verse 13 says, Now that same day, two of them, that is two of the many disciples that Jesus had, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They were discussing the crucifixion and all the events uh, surrounding it. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their voices downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked them, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, notice the past but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In other words, you know, time has passed, nothing has happened, we might as well give up hope. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Now here you notice something is that um, despite this sense of dejection, disappointment, Despite their unbelief, they have to admit that something has been going on that contradicts their sort of tragic, dismal understanding of what has taken place. They have to admit that, you know, that, yeah, there's complexity here. Some, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it is just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. In other words, notice the extreme unbelief of these two men, which is representative of the unbelief of not only those disciples contemporaneous with Jesus, but also I think all the disciples across the thousands of years that have intervened since his resurrection. They hear all these testimonies, they hear all these wonderful words about the fact that it is as Jesus has said, but they, they can't believe it. They can't get their minds wrapped around the possibility. Extreme unbelief, incapacity to enter into the narrative that Jesus has uh, proposed to them. So he said to them, how foolish you are. In other words, notice here the frustration of Jesus. You're hearing all these things. You heard them from my own lips. You saw my miracles. You 
heard my uh, preparation of what was going to happen because I told you that it was important for me to be crucified and to rise on the third day, and yet you insist on not believing. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? Now, this is the key to um, my interpretation of this passage, that um, it is necessary to suffer before you enter into the glory. It is necessary to go through a process of breaking and personal crucifixion before you enter into the knowledge of the risen Lord, before you enter into the power that you seek, before you enter into the effectiveness in the kingdom that you and I so want. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is at the center of Scripture. Scripture is simply a beautiful wrapping that uh, encloses the gift that is inside, Jesus Christ. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is simply background. It's just a preamble to the person of Jesus. And as they approached the village to which they were going, and again, the village is uh, it's kind of a, it's a virtual place, really. The village is a symbolic um, space for quotidian life, daily life, normal life. These guys are returning, they believe, to the boredom of their usual life, like Peter returning to his nets. They had for a moment this glorious expectation that, yes, you know, God was going to do something extraordinary, that God was what He said He was in the Scriptures, that Jesus was this extraordinary being that would transform not only their life, but life as they knew it. They cannot believe, so what do they do? They're condemned to go into their village, and that is where you and I would live except for the knowledge of Christ, our own little limited existence. And even as believers, sometimes we, we live in that village because uh, we are not able to break out into the deeper knowledge of Christ. So we continue doing what we do. We continue being our little selves, unbroken, unchanged. And so I want you to see the, the, the meaning of these things. The village is regular life without the risen Christ. And as I say, believers sometimes, many believers live there, not in the power of the resurrection, but simply in this um, sort of, this Jesus limited to doctrine, to theology, to routine, to normal worship, what we do every day, but not living that revolutionary, explosive, dangerous, heroic existence of those who truly know Christ as He is. So they're going back to their village. Jerusalem is the, the place where we want to dwell, where the risen Christ is. They're returning to their quotidian normality. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if He were going further. That's a powerful moment there. He continues on as if He were going further. Why did He do that? Ask yourself that question as you study this passage. But they urged Him strongly. They insisted, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in 
to stay with them, which is what he had in mind all along. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. And here the music begins to get more intense, to ascend in volume. At this moment, if you're watching this in a movie, something extraordinary is about to happen here. So he takes bread, and you, you, I'm sure you can understand the meaning of the bread, the body of Christ broken. He had done that just a couple of days before with him when he celebrated the, the Last Supper. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and this is the, this is the language that we see in 1 Corinthians when we celebrate um, the uh, Lord's Supper. In the, on the night that he was crucified, Jesus took bread and broke it and said, take this. It is my body. So this is the, this is the same language. This is, this is a, the, the pure, sublime symbolism of the Lord's Supper. His body broken for us, his blood shed for our salvation. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And what happens at that moment? Then their eyes were opened. What an extraordinary moment. The magic key, the abracadabra, is the breaking of the bread. This is, what, this is what takes us from quotidian into magical. It is uh, the body of Christ broken. It is uh, the, the symbols of uh, the, the holy supper, the holy act of God's Son being broken on the cross, and our accepting it that dispels the, the, the mist that breaks the veil that covers our understanding. This is all sublime metaphor, sublime symbolism involved here. Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are open, and they recognized him. That's all they needed. You know, Jesus does have a sense of humor. I'm sure he was enjoying every moment of this whole episode. He was really having fun with them. He was... Uh, enjoying um, seeing them in their humanity. He was, um, you know, kind of amused by what they were experiencing. And I, I'm sure he had a great time when all of a sudden their eyes are open. They recognize him, and then he slips away. He disappears. This powerful, risen Christ. He had never done that kind of a trick <laughs> before when he was uh, just in the flesh. Now this resurrected Christ can move around nimbly and do whatever he wants. He's returned to his divine, divine, unhampered, unrestricted glory and nature. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scripture to us? The Spirit always knows. I mean, the, the, the Bible says that the, the, wick, the, the, the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is always willing. You know, how many things we are perceiving at times, and we're not aware of them because we're perceiving them in the Spirit, but our mind is not able to connect with our spirit. And we must ask the Lord to give us more discernment, that we can always hear His words, that we can look at life in this sublime way. We're always missing out on the lessons that God is always teaching us every day, even what we are experiencing now with this COVID-19 situation. Our spirits know. The nations know. The people of the earth know deep inside themselves what is happening. Their spirit knows it. But they have all kinds of uh, veiling in their minds, all kinds of assumptions, 
all kinds of appetites that will, that will keep what their spirits know from ascending to their understanding. They know. And this is why the nations will ultimately have to be accountable to God because we do know what is being said. We simply have all these other defenses that we have constructed to keep us from understanding what God is truly saying to us. And, and part of this message is about breaking that veil and, and uh, by faith accepting what Christ, what God, what the Scriptures say about reality, about God, about us, about creation. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There, they found the 11. Why? Because Judas, 11 because Judas had hung himself, you know. So they found the, the, the disciples, the, the apostles, the, the, the main, the core of Jesus' group. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What an amazing narrative. That's why I say if you can take this, I would beg you to use this week to meditate upon this and to try to extract as much teaching from this passage. On this Resurrection Sunday, it is important that we understand and that we revisit this all-important idea that we serve a resurrected Christ. He's not just the teacher. He's not just the origin of great theology and sublime metaphors and uh, parables. He's not just a, a spiritual genius. What makes Jesus truly distinctive is His resurrection, that He killed death when He arose from the grave, that this is a true event, and we need to let that event, that resurrection, seep into every part of our being. Because if the resurrection is not prominent, if it's not central to our understanding of our faith, then we will not be able to extract all the benefit that is possible and that God wants us to have from the Christian faith. The resurrection of Christ is not simply a theological principle. It's not even a, just a mere historical fact that it's good for us to know. The resurrection has practical implications for life. It determines everything from, from how positive our outlook can be, for example, about all the experiences of life. It, it, it gives us a, a, an interpretive grid, if you will, for everything that we experience in life and death. The resurrection, as, if we understand it truly, influences how, how resilient we can be in the middle of trials like the one we are experiencing right now. It determines how aggressive or how ambitious we can be in life. It determines how, like Paul in jail, asking us to rejoice in the Lord, how powerful we can be to uh, just uh, dissolve all the, the, the darts of the enemy when he throws them at us so that we don't crumble, we don't become depressed, we don't flee when the enemy snarls at us and, and uh, shows us his teeth, which are after all his fangs. They're, 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 they have been neutralized by the power of the resurrected Christ. For through the resurrection of Jesus, the power of death is broken. All the negativity of life loses its power to control 
The resurrection of Jesus breaks the, the yoke of sin and all its negative consequences. The fall loses its relevance, its power. And we enter into a new story, a new narrative. The, res the resurrection truly has symbolic and practical, profound spiritual consequences. If the, if the resurrection of Jesus has really penetrated into our consciousness, then we can truly be more than conquerors. And this is why this story of Luke 24 uh, shows us this, this Jesus um, intensely interested in correcting the understanding that these two disciples have to make sure that these two men know that he has indeed risen from the dead. Nothing that he did before that moment can be changed. I mean, he, he, he did all the miracles. He did all the teaching. He walked as he did on earth. But it's all meaningless if it's not interpreted through the lenses of the resurrection. So Jesus doesn't want to squander the, the, the punchline, if you will, of his entire life and ministry. He wants these men to understand that he is risen and that this is the crucial piece of the narrative that they are missing. And I believe that Jesus chose these two men because they were symbolic. The whole kingdom is about symbolism. I think these two men uh, stood for the rest of the disciples, the 11, the 70, the hundreds that, that by that point had believed in him and who were mired in their unbelief, their depression, their sense of defeat. But these two men, for a moment, stand as uh, symbols. And Jesus knows that these two men will be spoken about on a day like this, 2,020 years, more or less, after his birth. He is setting up a story that will illuminate humanity for thousands of years to come. They're simply symbolic beings. They're, they, they're characters in a novel. They stand there for this moment to be read and interpreted throughout all history. And they also stand for those of us who will come after them. They're simply a symbolic humanity who cannot ascend or, or descend deep into the depths of God's mysteries and His ways of dealing with humanity. These were men who had walked with Him and had seen His miracles. They, they, they should have known better. How many of us throughout our Christian walk, we do the same thing. Every day we become these two disciples in Emmaus. We celebrate all kinds of things. We sing. We, we, we say all kinds of grandiose, sublime things every time we come into church. But um, thousands of times we go back into our, our quotidian puny, mundane life, and we make our own decisions in the light of our own reasonings. We're, we don't dare to live in, in the sublimity of the teachings of the gospel, which are counterintuitive. When we are asked to behave honestly in our business, for example, the mind says, no, because if you do that, you're going to lose money. You're not going to make all that you can make. And so we, we retreat into our normal human way of making our decisions. When we can forgive, we choose not to forgive because it costs us. Because if we forgive, we think, uh, you know, people are going to abuse us. They'll do it again. 
we, we, we uh, kind of uh, hustle and struggle for our own primacy in everything that we do because we don't understand the, the, the sublime, counterintuitive ways of living that the gospel calls us to. So like the disciples, you know, we're, we're, we've seen all these things, we've heard them, but we cannot bring them into our life. We just retreat into our mundane existence. Here they are, dejected and disappointed, feeling that all their dreams have just, have just crushed, have, just, uh, have been crushed. They have crashed to the ground. In their faulty understanding, Jesus, after all, it seems, was not who they thought He was. They, they had thought that He was the Messiah, the liberator of Israel. And now here He is, dead, crucified, a farce, really. And they have lost all hope, and they simply return to their village. Now they're returning to, to their old life, their nets. The dreams of glory are gone. They are returning to continue their normal, boring, insignificant, anonymous life. Like Peter, when Jesus said, you know, you, you're a fisherman, but I'm, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to take you from your boring identity, and I'm going to put you to another level, to be an apostle, to be the writer of sublime letters that will edify humanity for, for thousands of years to come. You will be a symbol of uh, my work among men. And this is what God wants us to do, to live in that power of the resurrection every day of our lives, to, to fight, to bring back the, the sublime understanding of the gospel in every decision that we make, to stop struggling to preserve ourselves like that grain of wheat that must fall to the ground in order to bear much fruit. These are the contradictions that the gospel revels in. This Friday, I spoke about the contradictions that lead to life. The, the, the gospel is all about contradiction, paradox. And, and we cannot live in those paradoxes because our mind gets tired and we always want to go back to the village. This morning, God is asking you, live in the knowledge and the power of the resurrection. But here, here is Jesus to, to bring them back, to rescue them from that waste. He, he leads them through a whole process of teaching and new understanding. Why does He veil their understanding? Why does He put a spell on them? Because if they had recognized Him immediately, there wouldn't have been that process that is so necessary to growth and to maturity. Process is necessary. So sometimes God delays, and He really He flattens the curve. That's what He does. He, he uh, denies us the, the uh, impoverishing experience of getting truth immediately. He elongates. He spreads the teaching. So he, he puts them under a spell. He doesn't allow them to know who he is right away, and he starts teaching them the Scriptures. He starts teaching them the, 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 the lengthy narrative of Christ's centrality. He wants them to know him for who he is, truly the risen Christ. Jesus wants to be known for what he is. He wants to be the center of our life. At one point, Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they said, you know, some, people, some say that you were Elijah. Some people say that you were John the Baptist, come to life again, on and on. A very partial understanding of who Jesus was. He was so much more than that. And then he says, okay, you guys who have been with me all along, have seen my miracles, have heard my teaching, have walked with me intimately, who do you say that I am? God, Jesus is extraordinarily interested in what we think of Him. 
not because he is insecure, not because he has low self-esteem, but because for us it's absolutely important what we think of him. And he will invest all the time in the world to teach us, to bring us to understand him for who he is. Jesus wants to be known by us. More especially, he wants to be known by who he truly is. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He is God himself. He is God incarnate. He is the God that lives within us. He is the, the God that walks with us every day. Lo, I am with you always until the end of time. Every day, Monday morning, Friday afternoon, and you're weary of the week. Sunday when you worship him in church. He wants you to know him for who he truly is. We have access to Jesus. He's not this distant God anymore that we thought he was. He, he wants us to, to dwell with him. He wants to dwell with us and inside of us. He wants to have intimacy with us. He wants to empower us in all our struggles. He is close. He's as close to us as our heart, as accessible as a prayer as near as raising our head toward him or bowing it before him, going into the inner sanctum of our being and saying, Lord, I need you. Here I am. I want to speak with you. And this is why he appears to these two men. He, he doesn't want them to go back to their old life, disappointed, broken, totally with a, a failed understanding of who he truly is. And despite all their unfaithfulness, he, he, he wants to show them he still loves them. You know, it's just the mercy, the compassion of Christ for us. He could have said, hey, I'm through with you guys. I've invested so, so much, and, and you've squandered it all. You've forgotten my teachings. And instead, he patiently draws near to them in, in the most extraordinary moment. I mean, this is the beginning of this whole drama. I mean, he could have been busy doing a thousand other things, and yet there he is investing in these two puny lives, these unbelieving disciples, these unfaithful ones. He, he wants to rescue them. He doesn't want them to go back disappointed and broken with a false narrative and a false understanding of who he is. So he appears to them. He veils their understanding in order to stretch out their journey toward a new insight. As the master teacher that Jesus is, he, he doesn't want to just give away the truth. He wants them to go through a process of studying the Scriptures with him, of ascending to insight within themselves. This is what psychiatrists and psychologists know, that uh, you can't just offer the, the, the patient uh, counsel and advice. You must take them patiently through a process of self-exploration, of insight, of dialogue, and then when the truth emerges through that organic process, then people can claim that truth. They're prepared to own it and receive it. And this is what he's doing here. He's, he's holding back. He's veiling their understanding so that he can teach them. He can take them through the Scriptures, and he can teach them that everything that has happened has a purpose including the pain and the suffering that he himself has gone through. This is why he says, guys, didn't you know that I had to be crucified? Didn't you know that I had to go through the process of, of being stripped of all my dignity, that I had to live this puny life as a human being, that this was all part of God's slow-motion teaching, preparation of a narrative that humanity can eat of that bread for thousands of years? This is all necessary. And th that's an important point. 
I, I've, I've talked about this many times over my life and my teaching. All resurrections have a price. They, they, they cost something. All resurrections are preceded by a death, by definition. They're preceded by a crucifixion. And many of us refuse to be crucified. We're too attached to our flesh, to our body. And unless we're crucified, unless we give up our petty insistence on, on retaining our self-identity, our character, our personality, our way of doing things, our convictions, our understanding of ourselves and of reality, even, as I say, within the gospel, so many of us refuse to be broken. And this is the key to true insight in the, in the kingdom. Crucifixion, crucifixion, crucifixion. If you have not been crucified, if you have not been broken, if you haven't been reduced to an understanding of your own incapacity, if you haven't been disqualified by the cross, then you cannot be useful to the Lord. This is what the Jews did not understand. This is what these two disciples did not understand, that crucifixion had to take place. And this is why the Jews, the Israelites throughout history have not been able to understand their Messiah. This is why they still wait for their Messiah when He has already risen. He has come because this idea of a crucified Messiah, simply they cannot digest it. This is why this world cannot digest Jesus either because it's too hell-bent on maintaining its own self-identity, its own self-definition, its own understanding of itself and of its human dignity instead of uh, adopting God's narrative. They don't understand that we all need to be crucified. These disciples have this superficial understanding of the Messiah. They expected Him to be a conquering hero who would come in a white horse, not in a donkey, to destroy the Romans and put Israel back in charge. They, 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 they say that here. You know, we thought that He would be the one to redeem Israel. And you saw from my last sermon that it wasn't just about the Jews. It, it was about the, the nations. It was about the Gentiles. The temple is to be built by everyone, not just the Jews. The temple is built, built for everyone. And crucifixion must take place. God had a, a much more sublime process in mind than simply a quick resurrection, a quick coming down in a white horse and you know, continuing what? Life as it always was. I mean, you know, nations taking charge, nations controlling nations, nations lording their authority, their power over other nations, the struggle for supremacy. That's, that's not what it was about. It was about crushing carnality. It was about crushing the head of the serpent that lives in all of us and uh, bringing the humble, meek, resurrected Christ, bringing a new order a new system, a new understanding of reality and human processes. That's what, that's what the gospel is all about. And if you're still in your old understanding, if you haven't been broken and disqualified, then just give up because it's not worth living the gospel. The gospel is to be lived through the crucifixion in order to get to a resurrection. For us to enter into the full power of the, re of the resurrection power of Christ, we ourselves must go through a journey that involves pain, conflict, testing, and even failure. In this time of crisis that we are all facing all, all over the world right now, there is, there is a resurrection in the making. I tell you, this is, this is a crucifixion. 
that we are experiencing, the pain of the world right now, the crucifixion that mankind is experiencing at present is part of God's sublime plan to bring about its own resurrection. Humanity is being broken. Humanity is being crushed by the cross of affliction, by spiritual confrontation and humiliation. This is what this moment is all about. This is what this whole drama is all about. It is about crucifixion preceding resurrection. And if humanity can only hear God's voice in this, if we can all understand what is going on right now, let him who has ears to hear, listen. Let him who has eyes to see, understand and see clearly. I pray that uh, we are listening right now to the lesson that God is teaching us, that humanity is being given by this loving God who takes his time to unwrap his gifts. While we were worshiping this morning, uh, I believe, you know, as a prophetic, prophetically inclined person, let me put it that way, that I am, um, I, I believe God gave me an insight uh, into something. And I'm going to use a very mundane illustration. Right now, as I speak, there, there is a pot roast, slow cooking at our house. I put it in a slow cooker at uh, 12 midnight last night. And, um, you know, we, we, we did what we do with the pot roast. We put it on slow, this, this uh, slow cooking pot, whatever you call it, and the slow cooker. And it's been roasting. It's been slow cooking for the past, uh, you know, eight, ten hours, ten hours. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you look at a recipe, it usually says, you know, put it for seven, eight hours. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't want to just leave it, uh, you know, even th those seven, eight hours seemed a bit too short for, for, as I saw the texture of that, of that pot roll. So, you know, I, I decided to look in the Internet, and, you know, a lot of these uh, recipes say, no, leave it, leave it for 12 hours. Leave it for 10 hours. The, the, the connecting tissue of, of, of a chuck roast Forgive me if this is more detail than you really want or need. But that piece of meat requires a long time of breaking. Its texture is such that it requires being submitted to slow fire, slow heat, to break it down, to make it soft, to bring it to its true identity. And, uh, you know, it takes time. It takes time to do that. And it's, it's like that, I think, what is happening in the world right now. I mean, God has been taking His sweet time throughout all these centuries to bring humanity, to break it. You know, humanity has some connective tissue that is so hard. It's reason, it's pride, it's resistance to this God who has created them. It's arrogance. Those connective tissues, those neurological connections need to be just crushed. They need to be submitted to the pressure of slow fire. COVID-19 is slow cooking us. God is putting up a little more fire as the time draws near to serve the roast. COVID-19 is uh, just that. It's, it's, it's the prelude to a culmination. I do believe that uh, we are in new times. Humanity will be dealt with in, in a loving but also firm way by this loving God. He's taking his time. But now we are in a new time. COVID-19 is just that. It's, it's just God working out His slow 
cooking methodology. And what is lacking to us now is what these disciples had the privilege of experiencing. That is the teaching of the risen Christ, His power to interpret what we are experiencing right now and to show us the other side of the suffering and the perplexity. You know, uh, the church of Jesus Christ has the, the opportunity now to play the role of Jesus, to, to show humanity the meaning of what it is experiencing, to bring insight to humanity. This is why at this moment I'm praying, Lord, let your apostles, let your prophets, let your teachers arise. Let the voice of understanding of the church be given a new prominence in the world. Let the voice of your church be heard, the magisterial role of the church, so that this poor, broken, ridiculous humanity can get the insight that it needs from what it is experiencing. Because if the voice of the church does not give the teaching, then all of this will be squandered. Like these two disciples, they will go back to their old ways. And I pray this morning that the Lord will arise, His, that make them rise, His prophets, that the magisterial teaching voice of the church will be heard preached by men and women who have been anointed with a special anointing, with a special credibility, with a special authority to read into what is happening for the benefit of the nations and to teach them God's sublime purposes so that they can learn from this, like these two disciples, and see the risen Christ. And then to get the benefit that they truly need from what is happening right now. As with these two disciples, what Jesus really wants to do today is to come into our house, to be invited by us, to stay with us so that He can teach us, empower us with His resurrection, and enable us to become witnesses ourselves, as they did, of His resurrection power. Because they go back to the disciples and say, He has, he has indeed risen. He is indeed the risen Christ. And this is, what, this is where we need to be right now. I ask you this morning, you know, the, 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 the culminating moment of this entire uh, episode, uh, please, come, come forward, come up. The, the culminating moment of this episode is the fact that um, Jesus wants to come into our home. He needs to be invited by us. He's so gentle. The Lord is so gentle that He will not invite Himself. He gives them every opportunity to, to say no and just to kind of go back to their old ways. He, he makes believe that He's going to continue. He's taught them. He's given them the insight that He can. And then, uh, you know, he, he waits to be invited. And so they invite Him, come, stay with us, be with us. And that's what makes all the difference because then they can have in that intimacy with Him, Jesus breaks the bread and uh, illuminates their understanding. This is what He wants you to do this morning. He wants you and me to, to invite Him to come, to invite Him to enter into your house, your virtual house, your inner sanctum. Would you invite Jesus to come into your house right now. And I think this is something that we can all do. 
wherever you are with your family right now, I ask you to invite the Lord to come in. Invite the Lord to show himself for who he truly is. Would you invite Jesus to come into your life right now? Maybe you can say like me, Lord, I, I, I truly don't understand who you are. I thought I knew you, but I don't. And I want you to reveal yourself to me as you truly are. If you have not invited Jesus ever to come into your house, would you do that right now? Would you, you know, he says, I am at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice, not hear it physically, because we all hear God's voice physically. No, no, if you hear with your inner understanding, if you, if you know that what I'm saying is for you, if you know that I am for you and for your life, then invite me to come in. Take me into your village. Take me into your boring, insignificant life, because that's what it is. Without Jesus, your life, no matter how sublime it might seem, no matter how important you might be, no matter how much money you might have, no matter how influential you might be, you are nothing. You are living in a village and Jesus wants you to live in his kingdom. Invite him and ask him to come and break bread with you. He says, I will sup with him and he with me. That's what it's all about, having intimacy with Jesus. And if you've done it before, then let's do it again. There's not, 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 nothing wrong with inviting him a thousand times. Invite Jesus to come again into your life right now. I want you to do that wherever you are. Whether you're hearing this message now or you'll hear it tomorrow through Facebook or all the other media, uh, whether you'll hear it five years from now, I don't, I don't care. Just where, if you're hearing this invitation, and, and I know this invitation is going out in different ways all over the world right now. Preachers all over the world are inviting people to come and receive the resurrected Christ. Would you do that? Would you receive Jesus into your heart right now? The resurrected Christ, the powerful Christ, the divine Christ. Lord, we invite you to come into our lives, come into our homes, come into the world, erupt into history. We don't want you to hold back, Father, even at the cost of our own life. With fear and trembling, we say, Lord, have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, even if it means our own physical death, the, the loss of everything that we hold dear. And I say that, Father, as I cover myself with your blood, because I'm not sure I'm capable myself of uh, saying that in, with all the feeling that I need to. And, and I fear saying that, but I say it in faith. Have your way. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into our lives. Have your will be done. Enter right now into all those who are asking for your entrance. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus, resurrected Christ. Come into our life and do what only you can do. We receive you. We believe you. We confess you. We know you are the Son of God. You know, we know that you are the crucified Christ, but you are also the risen, eternal, life-giving, worthy of all adoration, Christ. We thank you for, for the, the privilege of living such sublime moments as the one that we are experiencing right now with this crisis. It is a true privilege, Father, and we claim it as such. We confess it as such. We want you to work as only you can work. 
work out your divine, sublime, complex, nuanced processes in us. We receive it. Jesus, have your way. We confess you as our Lord and Savior, as the resurrected Christ. In your name, we pray and we send your presence over every home, every village in New England. We bless you and we thank you and we humble ourselves before you. In your name, amen.